It is hard to believe we are at the end of yet another semester, and uh, while I know Christmas is still a few weeks away, uh, today we're going to take this last Sunday that we have together uh, in Alumni Hall here to celebrate the Christmas season. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew is where we're looking. If you've got a smart device, take that out. A Bible app, pull that out. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and uh, we'll have some folks coming around with these hardback Bibles. And uh, you can open up to page 807 in these Bibles if you're looking along with us that way. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, and we're going to look at chapter 1, starting at verse 18, and we're going we're gonna to go back to this very familiar story. Uh, for those of you who grew up in the church, and perhaps even for those of you who've never grown up in the church, uh, the this would be a familiar story, the birth of Jesus, and, um, and I'd love for us to unpack this passage here together for the next few moments. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, we'll also put the text up here on the screen if you'd rather look along with us that way. Hear the word of the Lord, this is what it says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. And the prophets' words go as such. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Friends, many of you already know this, but the Christmas season is about who? This is where the Sunday school answer is actually correct. You could say Jesus. This season is about Jesus. Now I realize the world has made it out to be about many other things, but the start and the inception and the whole origin story of this Christmas story centers around the person of Jesus. But you got to also understand, it's not just about Jesus. This season isn't just about Jesus in sort of this general sense, in sort of this vague and general sense, but rather it's specifically about the birth of Jesus. This season is a sort of celebration of the birth of this baby. And so when you peel back the layers and you, and you look past the tinsels and stockings and, and trees and, and, and chestnuts roasting on an open fire, what you begin to discover is that this season is actually one giant birthday celebration of a particular baby. And when you stop to think about that, it sounds almost ludicrous, right? Like that this season, this entire season is devoted and dedicated to this. It is essentially a, a giant birthday celebration of sorts 
of this particular baby. And the birth of this baby is the reason why churches and communities and faith groups and people of different types of groups all across the globe stop at this time of the year to celebrate this birth. When you pause to think about it, there is no other birthday party quite like this one. When I was in high school, I, I grew up uh, with this show on MTV called My Sweet 16. I believe that's what it was called. It was, it was a show about these like outlandish, ludicrous, like Sweet 16 parties. And if you had a Sweet 16 party, maybe this was your experience. I don't know. But, but the show highlighted these 16-year-old girls getting brand new Maseratis for their birthday and, 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 and all kinds of crazy gifts. I mean, some of these birthday celebrations were, were more outlandish and extravagant than some weddings I've been to. Unbelievable. And even those pale in comparison to the birth and the celebration of Jesus. No other birth is celebrated on this planet quite like this one. Now, I'm not going to lie. I really wish my birthday was celebrated like this. I wish my birthday was celebrated on this sort of massive scale. I wish the world would stop and remember and celebrate with joy in their hearts September 27th. What a, what a day that would be, right? Like, to, to, to stop, the world stops, and it's, ah, it's Dan Min's birthday, September 27th. But, but let me be real. That doesn't happen. The world doesn't stop on September 27th. In fact, the world doesn't even skip a beat. In fact, most of the times, I, I would be hard-pressed to find anyone even remembering that it is my birthday if it were not for Facebook reminders. Oh, shoot, it's him. let me shoot him. You know, and, so, and so half the people that I even hear birthday wishes from, they only remembered because something else reminded them. I wish my birthday would be celebrated in this sort of massive scale, but let's be real. Who am I, right? <laughs> like, there's nothing significant about my birthday. Really, I mean, when you, when you stop to think about it, there were no prophecies spoken about my birth. In fact, fun fact, I was a honeymoon baby. Surprise, mom and dad, I'm here. Like, I, they didn't even know I was coming into the world. There were no prophecies told, long foretold words to my parents. You will have a son and you shall call him Dog. Right? That's like that's not what that's my name. In case you're wondering, that's a different message for a different day. But 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 that's they didn't get any messages from a prophet or anything like that. There there were no wise men that came knocking on the maternity ward where my mother and I were staying to bring us gifts. Right there, I mean there were certainly I'm sure there were doctors and nurses that stopped in, but no wise men. That didn't happen on that day. As far as I know, there were no angelic appearances in Flushing Memorial Hospital in Flushing, Queens, New York, where I was born, the day I was born. There was none of that. There was no angelic appearances that was reported that day. But you want to know what was reported that day? 360,405 other babies were born on September 27th of 1983. That's how insignificant my birthday actually was. That 360,405 other people on this planet celebrate my birth. Now, I don't know how many, how many uh, birthdays are celebrated here on the same day, but for me, on September 27th of 1983, 360, over 360,000 other babies were born. That's how insignificant my birthday was. Now, 
I'm not trying to throw a pity party here, just FYI, all right? I'm not trying to milk as some response and say, please remember my birthday. That's not the point of this point. My point is this. When you put my birthday, or heck, put your birthday, or put anybody's birthday, for that matter, up against the birth of Jesus, what you begin to discover that it is, is that it is laughable. It is utterly laughable how comparatively insignificant any other birthday is compared to the birth of Jesus, or at least the way the birth of Jesus is celebrated. But now the question is, why? Why? What, what makes this particular birthday celebration so special in the first place? Why does the world stop and celebrate the birth of Jesus in these global, massive, worldwide ways every time this time of the year rolls around? Well, I would suggest to you that there are three reasons based on today's text as to why Christ's birth was so special, so unique, and incredibly life-altering. And the first is this. Christ's birth was entirely supernatural. Christ's birth was entirely supernatural. Verse 18, in your Bible, you could turn there and, and, and just look there for a moment. Verse 18 says this, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, by the way, before they came together, just it's not like a locational, geographical kind of merging together. I mean, th this is basically Bible talk of like, getting it on, you know, and so that's what it means, okay, and, and then even in the passage later, it says, he, he knew her not, it's not like he didn't know Mary, that, that's talking about like, you know, put on some Barry White, and that's, that, that's, what, that's what, the, what the gospel writer is talking about here, when was Mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, now, listen, you know this, you and I both know this, every birth is a miracle, right? We're not trying to deny that, uh, that there's something extraordinary, something special about the birth of a child. Every birth is a miracle, but not every birth is supernatural. Every birth is a miracle, but not every birth is supernatural. The wonders of a child's birth is extraordinary. Every child, and I know most of us in the room, like 99% of us in the room don't even know what I'm talking about, right? But like when you're in the hospital room and you're holding your baby for the first time, I've had two opportunities to do that in my life. And, and when you're holding that baby in your arms, you marvel at that baby. You recognize, oh, what a wonderful, miraculous incredible, extraordinary gift that I'm holding in my hands. But you want to know what thought never comes across my mind? Holy crap, how did this baby get here? It's like, how, how did this, how, I, I don't know how this baby got, no, church, I had a part in that. I had something to do with my boys being born into this world. In fact, the conception of a child and the birth of a baby can be explained in very natural scientific ter terms that can explain what happens in the course of the formation and the delivery of a baby. Now, look, I'm not going to stand up here and explain all of that to you and how a baby is formed in a woman's body and, 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 and all of that. I don't think I need to tell you all of that. If you miss the birds and the beasts, talk by now I don't really know what to tell you you're a little late to the game but 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 look even if you've taken a single health class in your life right like you've taken a single health class you know how a baby is formed but now the birth of Jesus defies everything that we've been taught in that arena 
everything that we've been taught about conception and the birth of a baby gets flipped upside down when Jesus is born. The birth of Jesus confounds every health textbook, every doctor's assessment, every physical analysis, because Christ's birth was entirely supernatural. Now, look, I wish I can stand up here and tell you and explain to you, give you a play-by-play of how all of this happened. How in the world does Mary conceive from the Holy Spirit? Like, what does that even look like? How does that even work? What the, in fact, scholars, the greatest biblical scholars of history, have had zero success at trying to explain how all of this took place. It truly is a great mystery. When you talk about a miracle of a birth, this is, by very definition, a miracle. Now, while I can't explain how all of this went down, I do know this. It's because of the virgin birth, it's because of Christ's supernatural birth that we can know with full assurance that Jesus is the Son of God. This is profound. I know in one year it just sounds like, well, yeah, Jesus is the Son of God. I've heard that. Even we sing it in songs, but this is profound. It's because of this specific doctrine of the virgin birth, and scholars have hammered this over and over throughout history. The virgin birth is critical. It is so foundational because the virgin birth points to the deity of Christ. It points to the, to, the, to, the, to the sonship of God. It points to Jesus. The, the, the virgin birth, the, the supernatural birth, tells us that Jesus was not any ordinary man. Jesus was not just some dude who lived over 2,000 years ago who went around, did some good things, who taught some good stuff. Jesus was not just a great teacher or a good rabbi or an excellent priest. He wasn't just a powerful leader or an influencer or even the founder of some movement. Heck, when you look throughout human history, you can point to a number of different people and say, well, that person was that. That person was a great influencer. That person was a great teacher. That person founded a movement. Any... Anyone in history, as as you look through, can be identified in any number of these ways. But none of them, no one in human history can be described as the Son of God. That title is unique to Jesus and is due in large part to this incredibly supernatural birth. It's because of the virgin birth that we know that Jesus is truly the Son of God. Dr. Wayne Grudem, a theologian that I I really appreciate, I've studied for years now, he says this very simply. He says, God in his wisdom ordained a combination. Again, we don't know how all of this happened, but in his infinite wisdom ordained a combination of human and divine influence in the birth of Christ so that his full humanity would be evident to us from the fact of his ordinary human birth from a human mother. Now, if that was all there was, that'd be a terribly bleak picture for the Christian faith. That would be, that would be just, just a terrible way to end the story, but it's not the full story. He goes on, he says, his full deity, and his full deity would be evident from the fact of his conception in Mary's womb by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Christ's birth was entirely supernatural. Church, if it were not, it would negate the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And if Jesus is not the Son of God, all of this, what we're doing right now, would be deemed as utterly meaningless. The reason for gathering week after week after week would all be futile. It would be empty. It would be meaningless. Christianity as a whole would be nothing more than a worldwide hoax. 
If Jesus were not the son of God, the Christian faith would not stand on its own two feet. The the Christian faith would crumble and fall without the deity of Christ. The world, listen, you got to understand, the world doesn't stop and celebrate a hoax. The world stops and celebrates during the season because Jesus truly is the son of God who is worthy of our worship and our adoration. And and if if this supernatural, truly miraculous birth should evoke anything within us, may it be this, a heart of worship, a heart of adoration. Oh, come, let us adore him. This Christmas season, that's the emotion, those are the thoughts, those are the feelings that should bubble up over us as we think about Jesus as the Son of God who was born in the supernatural way. Oh, come, let us adore him. The second reason why the birth of Christ is so unique and so special is because Christ's birth has spiritual and eternal implications. It has spiritual and eternal implications. You gotta understand, church, the birth of Jesus wasn't just a physical thing that happened. It did. It wasn't just a historical event that simply marks our calendars, December 25th and and all of these things, the Advent season. It's not just a historical event that happened. Yes, it is. It's something that actually happened in history. And yes, it had physical, social, relational implications at the time of this event. But the birth of Jesus, more than anything, had spiritual and continues to have spiritual and eternal implications. Listen to what God says to Joseph in verse 21. In verse 21, it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He didn't come to the world so that the world can ooh and ah over the birth of a newborn child. He didn't come into the world so that we can sing nostalgic Christmas songs around this Christmas season. He came so that he can save his people from their sins. Uh, Some of you may know this uh, if you've been in Christian circles long enough. The name Jesus actually derives from the Hebrew name Yeshua. Yeshua means to deliver or to rescue or to save. To deliver, to rescue, or to save. And so church, understand this. We sing a lot about Jesus. We sing to Jesus here. When we proclaim the name of Jesus, We're acknowledging with our lips and hopefully with our hearts that Jesus is our deliverer, he is our rescuer, he is our savior. That's what we're proclaiming. But the question is, what is he delivering us from? What is he rescuing us or saving us from? Well, the answer is right here in the verse we just read. He came to save us from a life of sin and death. He came to save us from a life of sin and death. You see, the birth of Jesus, you got, we, we, we got to grab a hold of this. We wrap our heads around this. The birth of Jesus was the solution to a problem you and I would have never been able to solve on our own. The birth of Jesus was this grand solution to a problem that you and I would have been hopelessly to solve on our own, and that's the problem of sin. Oh, come on, Pastor, don't talk about sin on Christmas Sunday now. Let's talk about, come on, no, that's, it's part of the Christmas story. Jesus came to deliver us from sin. This is the reason why Jesus, the, the Christ child, the baby in the manger was sent in the first place. The baby that we remember during the season, 
He was sent on a rescue mission. He was sent to save us from our sins. And friends, I hope you understand this. This is gospel 101 stuff right here. This was not something that you and I could have handled on our own. This was not something that we could have turned to God and said, God, this sin issue, am I? I got it. I got it. I'm good. Don't need any help here. You can carry on. The, 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 the other people, the, the weak people who need help with their sin, you go, why don't you go help them? This sin issue, I got. This is not something that we could have handled on our own. This was not something you, 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 you and I could have just powered through or worked our way out of. No amount of human strategy or man's wisdom or our efforts could have ever freed us from the powerful grip of sin in our lives. We can't solve spiritual problems with human resources. It just doesn't work that way. We can never solve spiritual problems with non-spiritual human resources. We need a spiritual help, a deliverer, a savior outside of us to pull us out of the condition of sin that we find ourselves in. That's why Jesus came, to do for you and me what we can never do for ourselves. It's the birth of Jesus. I want you to think about the series that we just came out of, Spiritual Things, if you were with us the last several weeks before we cut the break. We talked about the devil. We talked about his, uh, his demonic dominion and, and his overall effects on our lives. If you missed any of those uh, messages, they're all up on our website. And, and, uh, but but, but we, we, I want you to think about this for a moment in light of that series that we just came out of. Without the birth of Christ, we would still be under the power and rule of sin. You do realize that. Without the birth of Jesus, we would still be under the power and the rule of sin. The dominion of the enemy would still be reigning over us. But that baby, born in a manger, would be given the name Jesus, Yeshua, whereby he becomes our rescuer, our deliverer, the one who would save his people from all their sins. And friends, that is glad tidings. That is good news right there. You've seen how Christ's birth has spiritual and eternal implications. Right? This isn't just an event that took place, so, an, oh, ah, the baby was born. Cool, let's celebrate. No, 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 no. The baby was born for a very specific purpose, to save us from our sins. That's why the Bible says when you put your trust in him, he will forgive you of all of your sins. And he'll give you a new life, not one marked by sin and death, but a life marked by freedom and life and victory. And that's not just for the life here and now. That's not just for the life after, but that's for life here and now, that we can experience victory, life, and all that God has for us here and now. Which actually leads me to my last point, and that's Christ's birth introduces a personal God. Christ's birth introduces a personal God. Not only has Christ come to cleanse us from our sins, as if that weren't enough, right? Like, praise God that he came to cleanse us from our sin and bring us into freedom and right standing with God. Uh, not only has Christ come to do that work, but he has also come to introduce us to a personal God so that we might come to know him here and now. Now, friends, this is a game changer, this is, this is an absolute game changer because you got to understand, if you go back to, to the New Testament and even the Old Testament, you scale back from, to, to the people of antiquity, what you see is that these people viewed God rightly so, and that way was a holy God. 
God was holy, and, and, and friends, I'm afraid some of us have lost the sense of the holiness of God in our culture today. In fact, next semester, we're going to do a whole series on who God is. And for one, one portion of that series, we're going to talk about God being a holy God. What does it mean that, that God would be holy? What does that even mean? I, I'm afraid that we as a culture have lost sight of that, but, but the people of antiquity never lost sight. They understood that God was a holy God, a righteous God, a majestic God, a glorious God. In fact, he was so much so that, that he was virtually inaccessible. You ever, you ever come in contact with someone with great power and authority? You're like, oh, I don't feel comfortable being around them. I don't feel comfortable being in their presence. That's how the people of antiquity view God. Multiply to, the, to, 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 to infinity, there was a sense of God, you are so holy, you are so righteous, I can't even utter your name. They didn't even have a word for God because they recognized God to be so holy. In fact, the only people that can access God's presence were these select groups of people called priests. And these people that were identified as priests, anointed as priests, were deemed as people who were holy enough to approach God's presence without any reproach. The average Joe, the normal people like you and me, could never approach God's throne or his presence in this way, the way the priests were able to. And so the priests, they would enter into the temple. Here's their, their, this was their basic job, their basic duty. The priests would enter into the temple and they would speak to God on behalf of the people. They would make atonement for the sins and make sacrifices for the the sins of the people as sort of the bridge builder and so the priest would go into the temple speak to God okay on behalf of the people and once his job was done laying down the sacrifices and all these things he would come out and then he would speak to the people on behalf of God and so naturally because of this dynamic there was this chasm that formed between God and his people that were largely bridged by this group of people called the priests but you want to know what how the writer of Hebrews refers to Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, Jesus is referred to as our great high priest. Now, this is why this is significant. In fact, you don't need to turn there. We have the text up here on the screen. I just want to read that passage for you. Hebrews 4, verse 14. It says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Uh, get that picture. This is, again, Jesus passed through the heavens, came to earth, incarnated himself. God incarnated himself in the form of a baby born in a manger to Mary and Joseph. And, and this baby has passed through the heavens and he is born into this world and he's come to serve as our great high priest. Jesus, the son of God, there's that title again that is unique and uh, only held for the person of Jesus. The Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, in light of all of that, in light of all that Christ has done, and in light of who he is as a great high priest, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Friends, this is not, in the, in, in the Old Testament, in, pre-Jesus, this would not have been a thing. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. No, 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 that's a priest's job. I don't touch that with a 10-foot stick. I, I can't draw near. No, no, he says, because Jesus is your great high priest, because he's my great high priest, he says, let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
You see, because of the birth of Christ, we are all given real-time access to the presence of God. This is crazy. This is, this is, because Jesus is our high priest, we are given real-time, anytime, VIP access into the presence of God. The same privileges that the Old Testament priests had, Jesus says, now I give it to you because I am stepping in that place. And when you put your trust in me, I'm giving you access to the heart of God. I'm giving you access to the, to, to, to the presence of God, to the resources that God has for you. In fact, Hebrews isn't the only place we see this reality. It's right here in today's passage. We see this personal God embedded into his very name. Listen to what the text, today's text says in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, say it with me, God with us. God with us, Emmanuel. Not a far and distant God, not an unknowable God, not a God who is removed and indifferent towards our lives. No, 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 he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is a God who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He's a God who understands the struggles of our deepest temptations. In those moments when you feel the claws of the enemy latching onto your soul, Jesus says, I know, I'm with you. I'm Emmanuel. This is a God who extends mercy and grace in times of our deep need. That's the kind of God we have. He's the kind of God who sends a baby to earth, gives him the name Emmanuel to show the world that he is God with us. Not a God removed, not a God far from us, but a God who gets all up in our business a God who says, I know what you're going through, and you are not alone. I promise you, you are not alone. In fact, all the way in Matthew 28, we look at the birth, the start of Matthew chapter 1. The end of Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, and lo and behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. Even at the very end of his life, he claims himself to be Emmanuel, a God who will be with us forever. Our deepest struggle, our deepest pain, our greatest temptations, we're not left by ourselves and on our own. We are given the name Emmanuel. Friends, I hope you sense, I hope you sense the nearness of God during this season. But, but look, not just this season. Sometimes it grieves me to, to think about the name Emmanuel just during the Christmas season. No, that's his name. It's not like he turns on certain names during certain times of the year. He says, all right, December's rolling around. I'll be Emmanuel, you know, like this time rolls around, I'll be so-and-so. No, 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 this is Emmanuel. This is who he is. It's embedded into his very nature. He is a God who is with us 24-7, 365 days out of the year. I hope you sense his nearness. You see, the birth of Jesus is an extraordinary event that changed the fabric of humanity forever. It's a birth that's not celebrated like any other birth on the planet, when that baby was born, everything changed. Everything changed. That's why the whole world stops and celebrates the season. That's why the world stops and recognizes and, and we sing songs like prepare him room, oh, come let us adore him, a joy to the world. This is the reason why we celebrate the season. It's because of this supernatural birth that pointed to the son of God 
It's because of this birth that, was, that had spiritual and, and eternal implications for our lives, not just when we were first born, or, but today and forevermore. It has spiritual and eternal implications. It's because the birth reveals a deep, personal God who wants to get in our lives. It's for all of these reasons we stop and we celebrate the supremely important season. And those are the reasons why we say things like, oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us recognize that God is a God who is with us. He is Emmanuel. He is our deliverer. He is our savior. He is our rescuer. Friends, may we never lose sight of that. In fact, if anything, this season, may it deepen, may these realities deepen a sense of worship and adoration towards King Jesus.